Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popowich. How you doing, buddy? Hi, Faisal. I'm great. How about you? I'm I'm good. What a, what an interesting week in the markets. A lot of um, volatility, of course, but yeah. conversation about the big I word. Uh oh, mm-hmm. and it came on Friday. Inflation. Right. It's here. Well, it's been here for a while. And it's big. The number was big. Okay, so let me yeah. let me set this up for you. Okay. Um, in the U.S., inflation rate hit a 40-year high. The last time we saw this number was back in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. At the same time that announcement happened, the markets started to go up. Why? Why the heck would the markets go up when we've got 40-year high inflation rate? Okay. So a couple thoughts on this, and it's not just inflation the market's uh, worried about, but let's single that out for a moment. So... Headline U.S. inflation comes in at 6.8%, which was, quite frankly, in line with expectation. So number one, it wasn't a surprise. Okay. Okay? Market had been pricing it in. Um, the other issue is you've got, you've got to look at central banks. Okay, What is central banks? So if it's not a surprise, and quite frankly, there was a whisper number, Faisal, that was at seven. Right. So the market was set up, and there was a cautious trade on the day before, the market was set up for some volatility. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to watch pre-markets trade and so on and so forth when that number came out. Um, you, you know, move forward, not backwards. And I think there was a bit of a relief that it wasn't worse than what was expected. But the other issue is you've got to take a position on what you think central banks are doing. Can they control it or not, right? You have to decide whether or not you're going to fight the Fed, fight the Bank of Canada, fight the Bank of England, because all of the central banks have taken the position that although it's, we've dropped the language around transitory or temporary, right? Uh, the central bank guidance is still that we will likely see inflation uh, probably rise from here, peak somewhere in the early part of 2022, and then start trending back down mm-hmm. later in the year. And so, um, you know, I think there's a number of factors at play that uh, that would allow markets to move forward when that news when that news initially broke. It's still a concern, don't get me wrong. You still want to be positioning and thinking about where you think it's going to be. And then you have to layer in all the other stuff that's going on, right? Let's face it, the Omicron, the shutdowns in the UK, right? Temporary, all of those things influencing mood as well. Let's go to the Omicron uh, uh, variant now. Um, We're getting a bit more data this week than last week when the announcements were made about this uh, uh, over the last couple of weeks, actually. Um, People are starting to see the impact of it to some degree. We talked about it, and when it first came out, we said, "Get the next three to four months, we're going to get more and more information, yeah. and the pharmaceutical companies will be able to get more data. It seems like everybody is playing the Twitter game. Let's just talk about it right away really quickly without yeah. really thinking it through. I think Big Pharma's doing that, and you, some of the major brands were... We're saying, oh, our, our, our vaccine doesn't help. Oh, yeah, it does. You need four boosters. You need 37 boosters, whatever they're talking about, right? So there's a whole bunch of um, just a, a shootout of, of, of information yep. without really thinking about is this fact or is this opinion? Yeah, so let's, that's an interesting point. Let's talk about, um, let, let's talk about volatility for a moment um, because you get volatility in markets when we inject uncertainty into the forward forecast. Yeah. 
doesn't matter if it's Omicron or inflation or pick anything else, you know, through time. But when you inject uncertainty, you're going to get you're going to get volatility. So we've got some uncertainty, so we should expect some volatility. Number one, yeah, I think people should should brace for that. You know, the the Omicron variant um, is, is interesting, and again, there is a very wide range of outcomes. So I'm not suggesting you have to pick one or the other, but you have to form an opinion on what you think is happening going forward with our ability globally to handle COVID. Yeah. Right. And JP, I think it was JP Morgan this past week put out a, a really nice, um, it was a good piece, but there was a comment in it talking about that we are moving towards the end of the pandemic phase and into the endemic phase of Correct. this, meaning COVID's going to be around forever, right? And we're going to have to learn to live with it. But the fact is we have, uh, we're getting information on vaccinations on their success. Now, whether or not they're successful still, um, we're in early stages, but early stages seem to indicate that there will be some um, protection. You've got therapeutics, right? Therapeutics look very positive, meaning if you get COVID and you take these therapeutics, they are effective against the Omicron variant, yeah. right? And you've also got then how we live with it, right? What are you going to... So UK government sends people home, again, to work at home. Okay, there could be an econo economic impact on that if people aren't driving as much or they're not congregating at the office, going out for lunches. Okay, is that permanent now or temporary? Are we going back to a March 2020? These are the kinds of decisions that you you have to think through and form an opinion yeah. so that you can have some form of a look through into the future. And there's no coordinated effect. Right. Let's take a look at our country and the U.S. just on travel alone. Right. That's just one idea. Um, how we handle people coming into our country, including our own citizens, is completely different how the Americans right. handle people going to their country, including their own citizens. Right. So when we can't even have two countries that share a border come up with a strategy together at the same time, right. how do you expect this variant to be um, tame in one country but active in another purely because of that? And it's been, it's been documented and stated many times yep. that because we have governments handling things so differently, the word restrictions, the restrictions are different from territory to territory, location right. to location, state to state, province to province. Right. Because of all that, you're going to get different type of outcomes. Well, and it, you, yeah, you're exactly right. And think about country responses to it. Think about a UK response where we say, okay, everybody go back, back home and work versus a US response, right? Highly unlikely the US will we'll take that action and so, okay, where do I need to put my money? Yeah. Right? So if the UK or perhaps on a wider basis, Europe is showing a propensity perhaps to uh, go back to lockdowns and restrictions and there are other countries like the US that would have a lower propensity to yeah. that, right? There are, there are economic implications and investment implications of where you should be. The governments, in my opinion, are acting on the acronym called NIMBY, N-I-M-B-Y, which okay. stands for not in my backyard. <laughs> The variants come into my backyard, shut it down, right. restrict it. Do, if it's happening somewhere else, it doesn't matter. Right. But it's happening in my backyard, I better shut it down right. as much as I can. Right. And so you're getting that response from governments, but then you're getting agencies saying, maybe you want to share some of that vaccine with the countries around the world that don't have the same type of vaccination rates as you guys do. Right. Because you think it's going to just stay outside of your backyard because you can control right. people from going yeah. out, people from going to the, the, the movies or whatever else. Uh, no, it's not going to happen that way. So there's, there's a big change. Again, more volatility will come into play. And because of that volatility, uncertainty about your future and your retirement is hard, especially when you're not doing much. 
and your your mar- your portfolio is going up and down yeah. and all over the place. So it's it's an interesting point in time. I think this is where we love our jobs because now we get to actually figure things out and help our clients along the way. Um, one key thing that I do know that uh, in today's show, why we're bringing it up today is because uh, we've got two great pieces of a great guest on our show. One's going to talk about tax tips. Yep. Um, People are asking, should I take more money out of my retirement savings plan? Even though I don't need the money, should I take it out? or As a tax strategy. As right? a tax strategy. Yeah. Or should I keep it in there? And they're worried about higher taxes right. in the future. And the second one, um, Dave, get ready to open up your wallet. It looks like your auto insurance might be going up. Well, there's some changes that are going to affect different people in different ways in Alberta on car insurance, right? Right. And so what's changed? How much do we have to pay more potentially? Why the change? Yeah. I thought everything was okay in the insurance industry here in Alberta. Apparently not. Right. Uh, It's year end. Year end often means, if you're ahead of the game, getting ready not just for Christmas, but finish off any tax planning, tax strategies you could implement. It's the year, it's the season of giving. Right. Either you give gifts or you give money to the government, right? <laughs> or both. Or charities, right? You or can charities. charities in there. there we That's go. right. There we go. Anyways, we've got Jimmy Golem back joining us. He's Managing Director of Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC, and he's a regular recurring guest on the show, and he helps us sort of navigate the complex world of taxes. Uh, Jimmy, welcome back to the show. Pleasure to be back. Well, we are approaching the end of the year, so you, you heard our setup here. I think what uh, what we should do, it's incumbent upon us to just maybe remind people at this time of the year some of the different strategies uh, or things they can be looking at from a tax perspective prior to calendar year end that might help the situation overall. So why don't I just leave it with that sort of an open-ended architecture and let you maybe deal with some of the most common uh, things that people should be looking at. I think the most common one we often talk about, which is probably less relevant this year, of course, is tax loss selling at the end of the year. Look at the portfolio. If there's any losers, you know, maybe you want to realize those, use those losses against gains. I mean, this has been a great year in most markets. And in fact, it's been a great decade. In fact, we've hit all time highs, as as we all know, recently. So I think many of us uh, have big gains in the portfolio. And therefore, you know, a couple of things I would think about. Number one, um, is our portfolio properly balanced? In other words, have we actually taken a look at our equities versus our fixed income and determine are we on track? Is this what we want? Are we taking undue risk? Are we comfortable with our asset allocation? If not, maybe we want to rebalance the portfolio and maybe we want to do it now while the capital gains inclusion rate is still 50% because of course there has been some talk about bumping that at 75% which was in the courses in the NDP uh, platform. We have a minority government. Could they use the NDP with the liberals? Who knows? So again, uh, you know, this is something that we're, we're a little bit weary about. Um, the other opportunity, again, if there are the odd stock or find that in a loss position, you know, maybe you crystallize those losses and then use those to rebalance the portfolio with the gains. And then finally, I would suggest that this is a great time for charitable giving. Most charitable gifts are actually made in the month of December. And that's so that you can get that tax receipt for the 2021 tax year, which you then can use to reduce your taxes uh, when you file your return in the spring. So what an opportunity now with appreciated securities and mutual funds to consider a donation in kind to register charity. Not only will you get a receipt for the fair market value, but you'll also pay zero capital gains tax on that entire gain. So it's a wonderful opportunity to help charities to get that receipt. And in fact, in some cases, we're actually talking to clients about setting up a foundation, not necessarily a private foundation, which is complicated, you need lawyers and all that, but perhaps using something called a donor advised fund, 
which is like an account, your own account, as part of a public foundation. We have it through CIBC. You can use a community foundation, but effectively allows you to park that money in the foundation, get your tax receipt, avoid the capital gains tax on the appreciated securities, but also leave the money in there to grow tax-free for generations. And then every year distribute whatever you want from this particular donor advised fund to any of the over 80,000 registered charities in Canada. So it's a wonderful opportunity before the end of the year. Talk about donor advised funds, charitable giving, gifting in kind in the context of rebalancing a portfolio and maybe even taking some losses if you have any. So, Jamie, bef- there's a couple things that our clients and listeners of, of this <coughs> show uh, ask us all the time. One of them, if you were to put a probability of the capital gains inclusion rate going up for capital gains tax next year or the year after, what would you give as a probability that actually happening? Because people could decide to take a gain now versus taking a gain next year. And so they're kind of betting on what the government's going to do. Let's start with that question. Then we'll lead to about, uh, about RSP withdrawals in, in the second question. Yeah, well, I'm not traditionally a gambling man, but if I was forced to actually pick others, when I go 51%, chance that they'll increase the inclusion rate to 75%, uh, 49% chance they won't. So slightly more than half, I would say, if I had to guess. I see you've been asked that question before based on how political that answer was. That was a good one, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Basil, one of the questions we do get asked a lot um, by clients and by people is, uh, should should I take, if I don't need the money out of an, an RSP or a registered account or RIF account, should I take more out? Let's say I want to get up to the top end of whatever tax bracket I'm in. So it's really just a tax strategy. It, is it advisable to take money out of a registered account the, that the you don't need? The fear is that this RSP will grow yeah. over time. It'll get bigger. And then if you and your significant other, your spouse passes away, then all of a sudden, welcome to the highest tax bracket potentially. And so the, the fear is uh, I would be might be better off taking the money out of my registered assets now at a lower tax rate, I put that in air quotes, versus a higher tax rate in the future. Now we model this out for lots of clients, but let's hear it straight from the tax expert himself. Jamie, when it comes to that, do you take money out that you don't need from your RSPs at a lower tax rate with the fear that the taxes are gonna be much higher upon death? Yeah, so in most cases, the simple answer is no, don't do it. There are exceptions to that. So the general rule, I would say, look, if you're in the lowest tax bracket, so you're making like $35,000, dollars a year in retirement, it does make some sense to get the money out at that lowest rate to bring your income up to that lowest tax bracket, keeping in mind that, you know, you may trigger the loss of certain government benefits. If you're on, you know, GIS, Guaranteed Income Supplement, if you have an age credit, um, if you're getting quarterly HST credits, GST credits, things like that, you could lose some of those benefits. So you want to do a fulsome calculation just to make sure you're not losing too much in there. Um, In most other cases, it really will depend on how long you plan to live, right? So at the end of the day, like if someone's in their 50s and they're in good health and they could live 35, 40 years actuarially, depending on family history and things like that, the value of the tax-free growth inside of this RSP or inside of this RIP, I think can surely outweigh having a higher tax bracket on death, which could be 30 years down the road. So again, that's what you guys said, modeling, modeling, modeling. That's what you need. You need to work with a financial advisor. Um, You need to go through the model 
modeling yourself. How old are you? How long do you plan to live? And then you could throw a wrench in this and say, what about pension splitting? What if I have the opportunity to take out after age 65 from my RIF and then take 50% of that and put that on my spouse or partner's return? Well, all of a sudden now we've got two sets of graduated rates. Things get a little bit more complicated. So I think in a nutshell, the answer is no, don't do it unless you need the money. Um, but ultimately, there are exceptions to that for people in the lowest tax bracket and for individuals that have a shortened life expectancy or have a spouse or partner and they want to do that pension income splitting to take that money out at a low rate in the name of your spouse or partner. And I think that's very important what Jamie said is because there's a lot of people in the industry that says blanket, yes, do it, take it out. Or people are not even modeling out because everybody's circumstances is a little bit different yep. than, the, than the other person. We hear a lot of people saying, my, my friend or my relative has told me that I should do this because they're doing it. Circumstances are different. So like Jamie said, get the proper advice. Speak to not only a financial advisor, but get a tax of you on this as well. Get a tax professional involved because I think that's very important. Jamie, got, I've got one question, sure. if you don't mind. Yeah, just, we've got one minute left here, Jamie. And I just want to go back to the tax loss selling for just a minute because there's some rules around it. If, if somebody does have a tax loss and not, they're not rebalancing the portfolio, um, I think they need to understand clearly from a tax perspective how they can trigger that loss and not, and not have it treated as a superficial loss. So if you could just very quickly give us the tax rules around that strategy, I think that would be helpful for our listeners and viewers. Uh, you just want to make sure that if you are exiting a position, you're selling it for a loss, you simply don't buy it back within 30 days. In other words, you don't buy it back, your spouse or partner doesn't buy it back, your RSP, your TFSA, your RIF doesn't buy it back, your corporation doesn't own it, buy, buy it back. You know, these are all the rules. So as long as you're out of that position for 30 days, you're going to be fine. Um, but if you start playing games, um, you know, you got to be aware of other rules as well, like transferring a loss into an RSP or a TFSA, the loss is denied automatically. So as long as you pay attention to some of these tricks, if you have a legitimate sale, you're out of the position altogether, your loss should be good. Okay, thank you for that. Jimmy, I want to thank you for joining us again. Great tips, good reminder for everybody as they move into the end of the year on some of the things they can do to try to minimize, uh, <clears throat> minimize taxes and still, I think, fit within their, their total wealth strategy that they've got. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. All right, we've been joined by Jimmy Goldbeck, Managing Director of Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC. Faisal, you found an article that's interesting. It's going to affect um, many, many Albertans. And this is on a change, an upcoming change to our car insurance. Why don't you give us a little background here? Yeah, so this article that, that I'm reading, uh, we, we looked at how new Alberta auto insurance will change. First, how insurers will process claims. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And calculate premiums. So that's a nice headline for saying Dave Pop, which is going to be paying more insurance, <laughs> his premiums are definitely going up. They should have gone up a long time ago for you. But for the rest of us, I'm worried. Yeah, well, as you should be. Well, maybe. I don't know. We'll find should out. We, should we be worried? Let's find out. That's right. So we've got Aaron Sutherland joining us. He's the Western Vice President of the Insurance Bureau of Canada. Uh, Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me here today. Okay, so we've given a bit of a setup there. Why don't we start at the beginning um, and maybe just explain to us what changes we, uh, as Albertans, through our car insurance can expect come January of next year. Yeah, so, so Dave, as it relates to your premiums, it's really going to matter most what type of car you drive. Uh, and so I'll explain why in, in just a minute. But what we're going to see on January 1st is called a DCPD auto insurance system. Uh, and what it means is if someone, when you're not at fault for an accident, so someone else hits you, 
The situation today is that your insurance company has to work with the insurer of that at-fault driver as it relates to how your, your car gets repaired and right. who pays for those damages. As of January 1st, your own insurance company will pay for those repairs. It's a more streamlined system, it's a more efficient system, and it gets rid of some of the delays uh, that can be created and the complexities that can occur uh, You know, when two insurers have to sort of work together to sort out who's going to pay for what. So it's a more efficient system. It's catching up to the rest of the country in a little way, a little bit, because uh, to be frank, every other province already has this system, and so here in Alberta, we just got a little bit of catch up to do. Um, it'll be better for claims, but it will also impact driver premiums. And what it means is, because your own insurance company pays for repairs to your car, they know and they can better price that into your into your policy. And so, if you drive a less expensive vehicle, that costs less to repair, you're going to pay a little bit less. But if you, you drive a little bit of a more expensive vehicle, you're going to pay a little bit more. That's a fairer system. Uh, the reality today is if you drive a less expensive car, you're actually subsidizing the insurance costs of, of luxury car owners. And so this, this eliminates that. So, um, Aaron, it doesn't matter. Like, Dave's a terrible driver. So all the at-fault accidents that he's going to cause in 2022, he'll still have to pay higher premiums because of his terrible driving. Yes. Yeah, you know, Dave's still going to be on the hook for those, and the people that he hits, even though their insurance company will pay for their car's repairs, that will not go on their record. So it's still well. Just for the record, just for the record, Aaron, Dave does not hit other vehicles or people. <laughs> he only hits garbage cans, recycling bins, and 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 the green uh, the green carts as well. I occasionally bump into stuff, yeah, Aaron. Yeah, it's his, not. Yeah, he's got that 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 driver screen. <laughs> I don't run anybody his, over. His, I don't his, crash into other. Yeah, yeah. Everybody else is safe except for all those garbage bins that are left outside for more than a day than they're supposed to. Pop, which knows how to hit those. Uh, when we when we look at so at uh, not at fault accidents, and we're seeing that okay, if you drive a more expensive vehicle, give us some ranges. What what could someone expect if you're if you're having a possibly a newer car will cost more. Uh, uh, a, a luxury vehicle will cost more. What would you expect the premiums to go up for that uh, for that con consumer versus someone who has an older vehicle or not a luxury car and it's cheaper. Yeah, so uh, about 40% of, 42% uh, of drivers out there are going to see a reduction in premiums. Uh, again, that'll be based on uh, on the type of car that they have, and typically if it's less expensive, uh, you, you know, they're going to pay a little bit less because it costs less to repair. 15% of Albertans are going to see no change, so if you drive that mid-range vehicle, uh, and 35% of, of, of Alberta drivers uh, are going to see an increase of between 0 and 5%. And you know, it's it's anything beyond that is really you know we're talking about more of the outliers here than the exception to the rule. But certainly, if you drive you know um, uh, a luxury vehicle, uh, you are going to pay a little bit more, um, you know, more towards that that five percent and potentially higher there. Similarly for for things like Teslas and, and and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, this really is a fair system. Today, if if you're driving you know an older truck uh, that costs less to repair the likelihood that you could hit a luxury vehicle and you know your insurance company would have to pay for the repairs to that vehicle means you are paying more today to account for that on january 1st that switches so if you drive a more expensive vehicle your own insurance company repairs your car and that means that's factored into your premiums and so if you have a less expensive vehicle uh, you're going to pay a little bit less uh, it does mean we're going to see some changes but we're actually moving to a, a fairer system for drivers uh, i think we could all probably agree on that uh, and it's a much more efficient system as it relates to how your vehicle gets repaired. Aaron, do you think that you're going to see a lot more consumers 
go shopping now because the rates are going to change either up or down? Are there should people go shopping more or this is going to happen to all the companies right. and it's all going to be blanket across everybody's going to be paying pretty much the same amount because I, I, I know that there's some com I've switched insurance companies recently and I saved significantly on a brand new car right um, but now if everything's changing should we go shopping again well, Dave, if he's still got somebody willing to insure him, I'd stick with them. But otherwise, <laughs> uh, <laughs> otherwise, it's always a good idea uh, to shop around. Uh, different insurance companies has, have different risk appetites, and so they're actually going to treat different vehicles a little bit differently. And so, you know, uh, just as a matter of course, you know, anytime your insurance is up for renewal, I think it's always a good idea just to do a quick scan, get some quotes. You can do it online. Uh, you can talk to your broker. Uh, just spending a few minutes uh, can go a long way because you can see significant savings and you know I do recognize that you know insurance some sometimes it's a bit of a grudge purchase you don't want to spend a lot of time doing it but uh, we really encourage people to do so to, to find those savings um, and you know you it's one of the big, biggest expenses you're going to have uh, throughout the year and, and just take a few minutes to see if you can save a few dollars. Aaron we've got we've got um, lots of people lots of clients that we deal with that do that have luxury vehicles okay and some of those are the high-end stuff right and in Calgary quite frankly there are there are a lot of luxury dealerships so there's a large ownership in in luxury vehicles so um, when you say it could be higher than five percent so if you got guys that are driving around in Porsches and those kinds of you know that that kind of a level um, what are we looking at are we looking at like 15 20 percent increases or or seven percent I'd say it's more the latter. Um, the pe like the number of folks that are going to see significant increases here. You know, we're really talking about outliers. There's there's not many of those in the entire province. And you know, the the when you start to get into that nature, the bigger thing is going to be your your driving record uh, and how that's going to factor into things. And if you are in fact uh, hitting garbage cans or whatever it is every other day, uh, you know, you're going to see that reflected in your record. Um, this will mean if you drive a luxury vehicle like a Porsche, you are going to pay, uh, you, you know, to be frank, you are going to pay more. Um, but I would also suggest that if you're driving one of those vehicles, that's appropriate because those vehicles cost much more to repair and, you know, your insurance company has to account for that. And it's, 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 it's a much fairer system rather than having somebody who drives an older truck or, you know, an older uh, Honda Civic or whatever it is. Uh, having them, you know, subsidizing your premiums. Uh, and so this is a fair system. It will mean some changes, but at the end of the day, 42% of, of Alberta drivers are going to see a, a price reduction. 15% are going to see no change. And 35% yeah. are going to see a change of, of less than 5%. This is more streamlined, Dave. It'll be easier for you. You can't now call up your insurance company and say that the, the garbage can hit you. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Your insurance company has to, to fix I'm happy to tell you that when I bump into my garbage can, it doesn't do any damage. There's my records. Well, I the garbage can's it. fine. The garbage can is fine. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, thankfully, I don't really damage anything or anybody. Yeah, but, uh, I have been known to maybe bump into a garbage can. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron, I want to thank you for joining us today. Some great information. Uh, where can people get more information about this? Uh, so, yeah, you can find out more just by going to our website, ibc.ca, uh, and clicking on the link for auto insurance. Uh, we've got some important graphs and even some helpful driver profiles. Uh, but the other big thing you can do is talk to your insurance representative, take a few minutes, uh, talk about your policy, talk about the coverage you have, and what options are available to you. Aaron, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, appreciated the input, and uh, I'm sure Albertans will uh, be a little bit more educated as a result of our conversation, so thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. We've been joined by Aaron Sutherland, who is the Western Vice President of the Insurance Bureau of Canada. You feeling okay? Yeah.
You ready to write those checks for those insurance premiums? They're going up. They're they going have up. to go up for you. They do not. They have to. There I have is a car no that yells way. at me if I if I sit in it the wrong way. It yells at me. <laughs> right? There's yep. so much technology in your car. I'm surprised you can turn it on. <laughs> me too. Right. That's so, right. And then to actually hit garbage bins and recycling bins. I, I, I have hit a garbage bin once. I, I've seen the garbage yeah. bin roll to the bottom of your of your driveway. I know. The, the only explanation is Pop Witch is at home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thankfully, as I said, there's no damage being done. So yeah, to the I'm not worried that it's going up because of my driving record, but um, yeah, I probably will have a vehicle that falls in, although it's an older vehicle, probably in the luxury and probably going to see some increases. There you go. Yeah. More expenses for the Pop Witch family. Yeah, got it. <laughs> but it's in my control, right? So the, the good news is I can choose if I want that Perfect. vehicle or not. So I like, I like those kinds of expenses when we can... Make our own decisions about uh, whether you want to incur it. That's right. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about, um, about this week and the conversations. I mean, we're, we're, we do debriefs all the time about various um, client conversations and whatnot. And there's, we've concluded that there's, there's really three different um, phases that, that people go through in their retirement. Yeah. I'm going to call it the my experience, mm -hmm. the my family experience, mm -hmm. And then the My Legacy experience. Yeah. So if you want to know what, what happiness in retirement <clears throat> is, you'll first talk about your own experiences. Right. We find that clients, as they, as they go through retirement, start to look into more of their family and the experience they want to have with their family. And then as they go through their retirement, they want to leave some sort of legacy beyond their family, potentially. Potentially. That's right. Which is a very interesting transition through retirement. See, I think our industry has made this concept of retirement, a destination, not a journey. I think you're right on the money there. And I think when people say, how much money do you need in retirement? They punch it through their calculators and here you go, blah, here's the number you need. And that's it. Your retirement's good. You're fine. And I think people almost think of it as a destination too, because, yeah. well, it was interesting this week when we were sort of comparing notes on various conversations, um, the, the common theme was the evolution of the conversation. Same client, Right, very different conversations, and I'm not talk, talking pandemic related. I am talking stage of life, stage of journey. Yeah, difference in conversation. So let's let's start with uh, let's name this person Richard. Okay. Okay. Um, just to protect the innocent and the conversation that we had, um, the first I'll call it ten years of Richard and Sarah's retirement has been focused upon them making sure they're financially secure. Well, really, it was, it was uh, transitioning their business first. First, correct. Right. Selling their business, so away from what they were doing day-to-day -day yep. into this world called retirement, yep. making sure they're financially secure, yep. talking about their portfolios, mm -hmm. and focusing on the experiences that Richard and Sarah as a couple are going to do, travel, yeah, all the things. Yep. They're raising children, and now we're 10 years into retirement, and... They're now talking more about their children. Well, yeah. One major event that happens, well, let me say two. Two major events that happen in, in a person's life when the transition in retirement actually occurs. One is a marriage of your child. Mm -hmm. So when your child gets married, you start thinking differently. Another one is the birth of a grandchild. Mm -hmm. That changes things. And so that is usually when the shift happens from thinking about my experiences to my family. 
And part of the conversation we had with Richard and Sarah was about, well, now that you've got a new member of your extended family, how do you want everything to be handled? Right. And for the record, they really like this, this person. Yeah. Right. This is this yeah, not is, like your in-laws who don't like you. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. No, these guys, these guys like them. Yeah. And so this is a good news scenario, yeah. right? But it did change their thinking, didn't it? Yeah. So, so from a wealth perspective, um, you were having this conversation. Um, uh, I mean, we had lunch with them this week, which was actually nice to get together again. But it was interesting that um, it was okay. So if something happens to us now, like we've worked our whole lives and blah blah blah, we're having a great experience. What happens? So I want to make sure that the money stays within the family. Yeah, the lineage. Right. It follows the family. Yeah. That was the entire, well, that wasn't the entire conversation. There was an, actually another very interesting twist. That's yeah. right. But it was, it was now um, the, the peace of mind that we always talk about that people want. It changes. And, I, and there's a couple of things. For, forgetting about Richard and Sarah for a second, but it's the evolution mm-hmm. of what they're going through. This is normal. Yep. Right? Completely this normal. conversation didn't have anything to do with inflation. Yeah, normal for us. Yeah. Brand new for them. Normal for, for us because we do this all the time. But, right. but process wise, this is what people will go through. Correct. Right? It was really about how do we make sure we're protecting the family and then the lineage and the grandkids and everything else. What I find very interesting <clears throat> when we start having the family conversation, the whole conversation starts to evolve into what are my values? Yeah. So let's go back to Richard and Sarah and they want to have the money that they have, their wealth go down the lineage directly not to go to um, spouses of their children or or to be to be but there was one part of the value system that Richard and Sarah have it was we don't want them to have this big check this yeah. this large amount of money right on the get-go in fact we don't want to even tell them that we have money that's right I was talking to Sarah she was telling me you know what Faisal my kids actually ask me if I need money when we go on a trip because they think we don't have money. Right. And they, they have money. Like, yeah. they're good. Right. Right? They're but really that's good. Intent, it, it's intent in this case based on their values. They don't want their kids to think they don't have to go out and earn it. Correct. Right. And that's the value. Right. You have to earn it. You cannot sit back and just expect someone else to give to you. That's right. their value system. Which was amazing to actually have that conversation about family. Right. So now, how does their entire wealth, how they spend their money today, how they'll, in the event of their death or incapacity, how they want this money be passed on in the same value system they have? Yeah. And they've got... Now we got a really interesting twist out of this, yes. didn't we? So now it gets really exciting. There was a real evolution that took place. Um, uh, I think we can say that Richard and Sarah both come from very, very modest beginnings. Yes. And that has, of course, shaped uh, all of their values, including you know, this idea that they have to work for it. But why don't you walk us through sort of the, the, the big surprise where they were, you know, where this really ended up. And they were very passionate about this. Yeah. You know, Faisal, I love my kids but I also love my country. Mm. <clears throat> and I want to make sure that there are, there's some money left behind so that my country, when there's poorer areas in my country, we can build schools or we can, mm-hmm. we can help the youth uh, because I grew up with humble beginnings. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to give all of it to my kids. Actually, I want to give a portion of it to this cause, but I want my kids to be the ones to actually execute on this directive. Yep. 
which now brings up another value system. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we have an opportunity to, you know, like donate money right now and see the benefits of that. We've actually asked our children to participate. We said we'll match every dollar for dollar. Um, all but one said no. So they're realizing the value system's different right. between their, them and the next generation. Right. So now they're kind of pushing them along to say, okay, if you, this is the money, you got to take care of it in this manner. And this is your money, but you're not going to get it all at once. You're going to get it over Well, you're time. not going to get it all. And then the portion that you do get, you're not getting it all at once. Correct. Right? There are some conditions attached to their values. Correct. That will come into play here. And so where we left off this meeting was not only on the, the part of, this is what we want in the event of our death. Yeah. Now it, the conversation is going to evolve to how do we instill these types of values throughout our life? Right. You can't just create a value system upon your death. Right. Because they recognized at least one of the kids doesn't share the value system that they have in this respect. Most of the kids, Dave. One of the kids does. No, does. Sorry, that's right. It went to... Most of the kids the, don't. Don't. That's right. That's right. Sorry, got that wrong. Nor do their spouse. Yep. Then what's going to happen when they have grandchildren? Right. So this is where it gets very interesting to know how we help them, help them help their family with that value system because yep. it's important to them. Yep. So it went from their experiences to their family to their legacy literally within 10 years. Right. Which is very interesting. I love that part of Yeah, it was a really... We good. walked out of that meeting really happy because yeah, yeah. we get to help that, right? Yeah, yeah, that was really... really that was a that. cool meeting. We got some work to do, too, to try to figure out... There were some very un unique aspects to what they're trying to do, which is cool for us because we get to go back to school and figure it out and work with a professional team to make sure we can bring the right solution to the team. Cool. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Very cool meeting. And I think this is where the difference in what most people hear about us or this show or our industry is, oh, these guys are retirement experts. These guys do retirement all the time. So it must be about investments right. and a retirement plan that says I can retire or not. That's, that's phase one. Yeah. Step one of phase one, actually. Yeah, that's right. Step one of phase one. Right? Now comes the problem is as you evolve through your retirement, yeah. the changes are going to happen and they have no idea it's going to happen. Right. Right? So that's the interesting part. It, it gets, uh, gets the juices flowing for me. And so when we talk about retirement, we also talk about how we're going to bulletproof your retirement and we're going to host our seminar on Tuesday, January 18th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register for this, so go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Well, thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money. Uh, we look forward to speaking to you. And on behalf of Faisal and myself, Dave, we look forward to speaking with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.